We welcome you this morning. Pray that the Lord will bless his gospel to our comfort and to our encouragement. And that he, by his word, will admonish us to our responsibility as those that make up this local assembly of saints, this gospel ministry, to perform the, the role and the office that he's put us in to preach the word. I want to preach to you this morning. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I've entitled this message, quite simply, Preach the Word. Preach the word. I hope and I pray that the Lord will bless it. I would that you would remember me in prayer. Uh, this is a rather unique message that I'm going to preach to you this morning. Not something new, but it's unique to me. I had other plans, and sometimes our plans go a different direction, and I felt led uh, to, to preach on this subject that I'm going to deal with. I, but Lord willing, my plan is either next Sunday uh, and the subsequent Sundays after that, I'm either going back, and I've never preached verse for verse, verse by verse through Isaiah 53. I'm either going to Isaiah 53, and I'm going to go through that entire chapter verse by verse, or I'm going to go back and I'm going to start in John chapter 14, where our Lord begins to deal with the Comforter, and He is going away, And because we've preached on the the Lord's high priestly prayer in John 17, or I'm going to preach on John 14, 15, 16, just go through it like that. So you be in prayer that the Lord would give me some direction, uh, give me some insight, and give me some comfort on what I feel like I need to preach to you this morning. I wish, uh, next over the next several weeks, I, I, I do wish that all of you uh, could experience what the Lord has uh, privileged me to experience because of the outreach of our gospel ministry here. Uh, I am continually astonished and humbled uh, by the various people that reach out to me. Pam looks at me all the time like, how can you talk on the phone uh, that much? I get phone calls from all over the place. And I'll tell you what, that, that young couple that called, contacted me, me I, I'm... I'm I was thinking about it. I was sitting up here this morning. I was thinking about Scott Price. I, I have grown to love and appreciate him so much in the gospel. And uh, the faithfulness that he has in using. He's, he's so gifted in using the means that God has given us. These tools. This internet and this Facebook and YouTube. And all these various means to get the gospel out. Media wise. And... For some reason, everybody that contacts him, he always directs them toward me, puts them our direction. And uh, this young couple, Pam, got an opportunity to talk with them too. A uh, little young 38-year-old couple down in in, uh, in Australia, and just just broke my heart, but filled my heart with so such joy to to see what the Lord has been pleased to do for His people. And how when he turns the light on in men and women's hearts and minds and reveals himself to them and in them, how it changes everything about their lives. And I know we have a different view of what change in our lives is as opposed to what the world considers a changed life. But changes their direction, changes their message, changes their hope, gives them peace and security within and I tell you, it, it fills this old hard heart 
with kind of a breath of air uh, that sometimes has a tendency to lag. I told them that last week. You know, there, there are down times in our lives as children of God. There are ebbs and there are flows. I can remember when the Lord first revealed himself to me being on the mountaintop of mountaintop. Can't you? And I've been in some valleys. And I will be in some more. I'm quite certain. And God knows that in the times that we need it most, he sends a still small voice our way that redirects, redefines uh, our purpose, reprioritizes what's important and what's so insignificant because so much of it is. But I had the privilege of meeting this young couple online, talked with them twice, talked with him multiple times over Facebook Messenger, follow him on Facebook now. But we, Pam and I got the privilege of meeting and talking with this young brother and sister in Christ who just recently have come under the gospel of God's free grace and been by God's grace brought to true repentance and true faith, brought to see Christ and claim Christ as the Lord their righteous. It's been brought to what we call a knowledge of the truth. And it's an amazing thing. I, people say there's no miracles in our day. I t- there's a miracle every time a sinner is born from the dead spiritually. It's a miracle of our God that he alone can give eyes to see, ears to hear, heart, mind, and will to comprehend. But as I sat there and I listened, and we t- talked with them for almost three, I talked with them almost three hours the first time. And then Pam and I, a couple of days later, this past Monday, we talked to them for about two hours this past Monday, both of us. And as Pam was talking and they were talking and conversing back and forth, and as I listened to them talk, I, the thing that I heard in their voice more than anything else that excites me is the great freedom that they felt for the first time. The liberty and the, the comfort and the encouragement and the relief that God brings to that sinner who is labored and heavy laden. Uh-huh. To be set free from the law of sin and death totally and completely, never to be returned under. And you, you could hear it in their voice of, 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 this is amazing. And it is, is it not? To think that God will not charge me with sin. Ever. Blessed. We say it over and over. I, I, I pray it all the time in my mind when I do pray. Blessed transgressions forgiven, blessed iniquity covered, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not charge sin and whose spirit is no guile. Even as Paul wrote it, blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes righteousness. Think about charges right without works. Not conditioned on me, ever. But here's the thing, as I listen to them speak of the glory of Christ's accomplished work that He has so freely and richly given them, and it's a gift, and they understand it's a gift, and I understand it's a gift, and you understand it's a gift. The thing that I couldn't help but be, my mind was drawn back to when I first heard the word of truth. And I know, and I remember quite well, when I first heard the gospel from Henry, 
how I thought that what I had heard and what I had been given eyes to see and faith to believe in was something that everybody, all my friends, all my family members, everybody I came in contact with would just be overjoyed to hear. Remember that? I thought, I, I want to tell everybody. But sadly, just like every regenerated, converted, born again, son and daughter living God, I learned quite well and soon the natural hatred and contempt that moral, religious, sincere sinners have for the truth of the gospel in Christ Jesus. These, these verses became real to me, but the natural man, natural mind, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them. Free grace? It's got to cost something. Oh, it costs something, sure enough. It cost us nothing. It cost him everything. Neither can he know them, the natural man, because they are spiritually discerned. I learned this, and you need to learn it well too. This is who we're dealing with. The carnal mind, enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. But even though I knew that to be the case back then, it took a while for the Lord to get the lesson through this thick head. I, I went forward... Though they rejected it, and though I knew they despised it, I pressed forward like a bull in a china closet, bound and determined to, to tell them the truth and make them see it. And I'll tell you what, it drove a wedge between friend, family, and foe that to this day still exists. You might be thinking, well, Richard, are you telling us that we shouldn't witness or declare the gospel to our friends or to our family members? And the answer to that is absolutely not. That's not what I'm telling you. Matter of fact, according to these words that we're going to look at this morning and where we're going to kind of jump off into this thing at, Paul admonished Timothy, but he not only admonished Timothy, he admonished you and me as well, all those who are called ambassadors of Christ that we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He admonishes us to preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Look at our text. Notice what he, because he gives them a charge. Listen to what he said. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 and 2. I charge thee therefore before God. So he said, I'm not, it's just not me charge. I'm putting you on notice. This is from who? This is God's charge to his church. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, it is appearing in his kingdom. What are we to do? Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And this word that this religious generation hates so much doctrine, teaching. Here's a literal translation of this verse. I, I do fully testify then before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. As God is, you know what he's saying to Timothy? Is God is my witness. 
who's about to judge the living and the dead at his manifestation in his reign, preach the word, be earnest in season, out of season, convict, rebuke, exhort, and all long-suffering and teaching. So Paul makes it very clear here that since the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to judge the quick and the dead, and we're not going to get into that this morning because there's a lot of various interpretations of that, but he's still the judge. All judgment's been committed into the hand of the Son. Because he's going to judge this world, as his ambassadors, what are we encouraged to do? Preach the word. That word preach means to herald or to proclaim. Here's the question. What do we call to herald or to proclaim? He tells us the word. The word. But we have to take into consideration what the word of God tells us in this matter of proclaiming it. See, this is important. Now, he says to Timothy, be instant in season and out of season. That word translated be instant, it means be ready. Be ready. And in order to be ready, what does that involve? Preparation. If you're going to be ready, you, you ladies are going to bake a cake, what do you do? Just throw everything in a blender? No, you, you, you get the ingredients out. You sift the flour. You warm the butter to room temperature. You take the eggs out of the refrigerator. You follow the directions. Put the stuff in a bowl, blended. You preheated the oven. Put everything together a certain way. And if you don't do it right, what do you have? You got a meteorite, not a cake, right? And he says, be ready. Prepare yourselves. And that word translated in season, you know what it means? When opportunity occurs. You hear that? When opportunity occurs. Not be a bull in a china shop. When opportunity occurs. And the word translated out of season means when you lack opportunity. You still ought to be ready. Even when the opportunity's not there, what should you always be ready? Now hold your place there in 2 Timothy. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now like I say, I was a loose cannon for a lot of years. Made a lot of people mad, drove a lot of wedges in a lot of relationships because I thought I had to get people saved. Take this to heart. You can't, I can't save anybody. I can't convince anybody to believe what I'm going to share with you this morning. All we can do is present it. If the Lord's not pleased to reveal it, just take it to heart. His word, when it goes forth, when it goes forth here, when it goes forth over the internet, when you share the gospel with somebody, when they ask you, as we're going to talk about here in just a moment, what, what's your hope? Keep this in mind. When you declare that truth, it's one of two things. It's a, it's a savor of life unto life, or it's a savor of death unto death to that person that's heard it. If you've heard this gospel, you are without, you are without excuse. But now notice what he says here. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3, look at verse 15. It took a long time for me to learn this because people taught me wrong on this passage. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now that word sanctify means to set apart. Because it doesn't mean, it, 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 you know, everybody says, well, sanctify means make holy. Well, let me ask you this. Can you make the Lord Jesus Christ holy? Is that what he's telling, Peter's telling us to do, to make Christ holy? Right? Set him apart in your heart. Set him aside as the Lord your right. Consider him to be who he is. Consider him as Emmanuel, God with us. 
Consider him as the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of his people. And there's that same word, be ready. You see that? Be ready always to give an answer to every man. And here's the key to every man that does what? Asks. You see that? Doesn't mean you tell it to everybody without it. We're not, we're not called to be street preachers. We're not going to go put a board around our neck, you know, them double-sided signs that says get right or get left and go stand on the street corner and howl at people about Christianity. That's not what we're called to do. We're called when a man or woman asks. But ask in a certain way. What are they asking you? A reason of the hope that is in you. What are they asking? They're asking, how do you have such joy in the midst of such sorrow and heartache? Such a painful world in which we live. How can you do that? We sang it a moment ago, my hope is built where? On nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. But here's the key. They ask a reason of the hope that lieth in you, but how do they ask? See, the guy that I first heard preach on this, he told me, he said, that meekness and that fear applies to us. It doesn't apply to us. It's not we're supposed to be a little humble, weak, quiet as a mouse. I don't want to offend anybody. Our Lord Jesus Christ was the meekest man that ever existed, was he not? He was meekness incarnate. And yet when he saw those people selling money changers in his father's house, what did he do? That meek, little, sweet, innocent Jesus turned the tables over. Did he not? And took a cat of nine tails and drove them out of his father's house. That little meek Lord Jesus Christ looked at the most religious, sincere, moral, dedicated men of his day and looked at them in their face. Here's meekness incarnate. Thou art of thy father, the devil. Huh? So the meekness and the the fear doesn't have to do with us. It has to do with what? It's in them. I want to know. I want to know what's the difference. I want to know what, what your hope is. And I've told you this before, but it bears, bears repeating because you gain these things from experience. I'm trying to save you some trouble. I'm not asking you to compromise. But I tell you what, casting your pearls before swine is not what we're called on to do. If they, if they, if they ask you to argue, Kenny, walk away from it. We're not arguing with people. I, I quit arguing with people about 36 years ago. I don't debate anybody about anything. I'm not a pacifist. I just don't see the need to because debates always have two sides. And both sides present, and the one who presents the better arguments wins. Okay? This ain't about one side being right and the other side being right and us trying to settle on a a point of compromise. We're declaring the truth. Hear me? And it's not up for debate. And I tell you what, you'll know when somebody asks in meekness and fear. You will. It might still not work out. They might really want to know, but then when you tell them what I'm going to show you to tell them this morning, they might still go haywire on you. But if they've asked and they sincerely want to know, you need to be ready to tell them. 
Now, that young lady, as I spoke with her last week, she asked a question that I hadn't really considered in some time. And uh, she asked me this, do you have a simple way we can share the gospel with our friends and our family when the opportunity arises? Well, I tell you, first of all, there's no clear formula. <laughs> there's no ABCs. I remember, that was, remember those courses where we were yeah, the ABCs of, of getting people to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I, if you're, if you're on Facebook, you're on Rust and Wrench, you know about the, what's going on here locally with one of the local churches. But one thing that, that really struck me, one of the people defending himself said that they've won, now this local church won 13 million souls to Jesus. How do you count that? Huh? Posted that on his YouTube account. We've won 13 million souls to, folk, to, to the Lord worldwide. And I tell you what, he's made 13 million folks twofold more the child of hell than he himself was. Right? Now, that's what's happened. So there's no clear-cut you know, ABCs you can follow. I'm going to kind of give you some things here that I think are important. We need to study and prepare ourselves to be clear on when somebody asks us. And I have to be clear on this, too. We can't read by reasoning and we can't, by our presentation, convince folks to believe. If it was that simple, we would set up a Dale Carnegie course and teach you how to be the kind of people that can win friends and influence people. But that's not what this is about. You can present it as clearly as you can, and unless the Lord reveals it to them, they're not going to see a thing. But even though it's up to his revelation, what's our responsibility in this thing? To be ready always to tell men and women the hope, reason, the hope that's in us. And I want to try to give you two or three doctrinal truths that we, as children of God, we should know dogmatically and we should be able to present uncompromisingly to those that ask us a reason of the hope that's in us with meekness and fear. And the first one is this. I'd start right here. If somebody asks, somebody comes, friend, family, or foe, they ask you, what's your hope of salvation? The first thing I'd do, I'd go to the Scriptures and I'd dogmatically declare to them that the true and living God, the God of the Scriptures, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the God of all His people in every generation, demands and will accept nothing less. You hear this? Demands and will accept nothing less but his own perfection. That's all he'll accept. Listen to our Lord Jesus Christ. Be ye therefore perfect, even as our, your Father which in heaven is perfect. I can't tell you how many silly looks I've got out of men and women that have set out in front of me over the last 36 years of my life when I have said from this pulpit, and I will continue to say it as long as I've got breath in my lungs, that unless you and me are as perfect as God Almighty, we're going to hell. And they look at me like, <laughs> make all the little smirky faces you want. I'm going to tell you what, one day you're going to meet this God. And you're going to find out that what this little old simple man's been telling you and what other simple men and women have been telling you is that God demands perfection and he can accept nothing less than perfection. I mean, not one smidget less than perfection. 
That, that word translated perfect, be ye therefore perfect. And I didn't know that until I was studying this this week. You know what that word translated literally is? It's the same. This is, this is unbelievable. He will accept nothing less than his perfection. You know what this word is? Be ye therefore perfect, even as my Father which is in heaven is perfect. It's the same word our Lord Jesus Christ, Kenny, used on the cross, translated three English words, it is finished. Didn't know that till this week. Same word. And it means to be brought to its end. To be finished. To be wanting nothing necessary in order to be completed. By the mouth of his servant Moses, God told us three times about God's holiness. He says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves and you shall be holy, for I am holy. He said again, speaking to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and saying to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. He says the third time, Sanctify yourselves therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Kind of interesting, three times he tells Moses, I am holy. Who? God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what are they? All equally holy. All equally demanding the same thing for any who will stand in their presence. Who shall ascend into the presence of the Lord? Who will stand in His holy hill? He that hath clean hands, a pure heart, who hath not sworn deceitfully, nor entered his soul into... I forgot the rest of it. <laughs> Went away. God wasn't telling sinners to try to be holy. He wasn't saying give it your best shot. He was telling them what he demands. What? You must be holy. Moses knew. He knew. He believed in. And he proclaimed the thrice holy God. And you know what? We do too. We do too. The prophet Habakkuk, he made it clear. of This God with whom we all have to do, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. And canst not look. You hear that? Canst not look on iniquity. That's how holy our God is. Folks, our God is so holy when sin was imputed his dear son, what did he do? God spoke himself by Mo to Moses, spoke to him as a man speaks to a friend face to face. It says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed, the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto a third and to a fourth generation. 
You say, preacher, what are you telling us? We need to be prepared to tell people. I'm telling you, we need to be prepared to stress to them the reality that wherever this God with whom we all have to do finds the least to sin and the best to men, the only thing he can do, his holy justice demands that he condemn them. The wages of sin, death. No way back from that. Not to, there's a lot more scriptures. I, as I was looking at this thing, I could have wrote down a ton load of scriptures. But I think, I think that makes the point. Can, can, i make it as simple as I can. The soul that sinneth, two times Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 18, the soul that sinneth, what happens to it? It shall surely die. But here's the thing. On the heels of that staggering truth that he will by no means clear the guilty, on the heel of that staggering truth that where God finds the least to sin and the best to men, He's bound by strict justice to condemn them. We have to tell those sinners that we stand before that ask us the reason of the hope that we have in us that every sinner by nature stands before this God who will by no means clear the guilty, guilty and condemned because they themselves are what? What they claim they are no longer. Sinners. I'm, I don't want you to go there, but I, I, you, you ought to have this one in your back pocket all the time when you talk with your friends and family because I all of them think they're good people. Now, they do. They're kind, and they are, as far as our standard. They're compassionate. They're religious. They're moral. There are a lot of things that are commendable by men. But see, the thing is, God don't look at us the same way that we look at each other. Here's how God sees it. There's none righteous. No, not one. I've sat in a church for 35, 40 years. It was a big deal. There's none righteous. No, not one. If that's your righteousness, you got none. There's none that understands. There's none that... Oh, there's none that seeks after this God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There's none that do good. No, not one. Well, they, she's a good woman. She's a good grandma. She's a good friend. What's God say? They get those thoughts out of it. There's none good. No, not one. There, here's a description. Their throat is an open sepulchre. That's not to whores and prostitutes and thieves and liars and homosexuals alone. That's the people sitting in church. Their throat, unregenerate sinners, their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their tongue, under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, not slang words, that's not what he's talking about. Cursing and bitterness toward this God. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And here's the problem. The way of peace have they not known. That's why they're in this way. Why? There's no fear of God. There's no reverential respect for this God who will by no means clear the guilty. No fear of God before their eyes. Let me, let me give you a verse, I think, a couple of verses that set forth this same reality. Why is Solomon 
in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. He says this, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. How many? There's not a man on this earth. That's everybody. Me, you. You can't, li- you can't be just by what you do. Paul said this, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned. And here's, here's, where, here's where all sin comes short, have come short of the glory of God. What's that? A righteousness that enables God to be just when he justifies the ungodly. Every one of us have come short of that. Here's another one. Because the carnal mind, enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, and here's a problem you've got in an unregenerate state, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can go to church, you can give you money, you can be moral, you can be sincere, you can be everything that your mom and daddy and grandma, grandpa and all them old dead preachers want you to be. In the flesh, in a state of unregeneracy, void of a righteousness, can't please God. And I know you tell people that, and I know, they're na- I know their natural response because I know my natural response. You tell them you're a sinner. God will by no means clear the guilty. You are guilty. They say, well, hold on there. Wait, I- I'm trying to keep the law. I-, I go to church every time the doors are open. I- you hear this, and you see this. I mean, when people, especially on Facebook, I- and I hope none of us are guilty of this. I, I-, I mean, I... I try to keep my eyes off a lot of things. We're all out there on social media. Don't ask lost people to pray for you. They want everybody to pray for them. I think it even includes Muslims. I don't know. It's just a blanket pray for me and my family. They're praying to an idol. What would you want idolaters praying to a false god for? Pray to the true and living God. Cast your cares on him. Don't cast them before the world. But you got to be prepared to tell them. Tell them what, preacher? For as many as are of the works of the law. I'm trying to keep the law. Well, go ahead. You're under the works of the law? You're under the curse. You see that? For it's written, Cursed is everyone. Here's, here's this key. That continueth, continueth not, in all things which are written in the book of the law, for to, not to try to do them, to do them perpetually. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it's evident for the just, the righteous, how do they live? They live by faith. And listen to Paul's language. And the law which they're trying to live by is not a faith. The man that doeth them shall live in them. In other words, if you're going to go life-wise that way, you've got to live it. And listen, he's already said you can't be justified by the works of the law. Well, it's a rat race. You can't get off the, can't get off the hamster wheel. <laughs> run, run, run. Think about old Bunyan. Run, run, the law demands. Gives me neither fit, feet nor hands. Sweeter song the gospel sings. It bids me fly and Gives me wings. 
They, they, this is what the scriptures stress and what we've got to be prepared to declare to people. Trying to do better won't do. Trying to be moral won't do. Actually doing better won't do. Keeping the law won't do. In order for a sinner to go to heaven, in the words of William Gadsby, they've got to have a righteousness in which God himself can find no flaw. We've got to to take the scriptures and point to them over and over and over again. When they come up with something else, well, I, you know, they've asked me a reason to hope. Well, I, 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 I try to be kind to people. Show them what true kindness is in Christ. And say, now where's your kindness? Where's your forgiveness? Where's your love? Where's your compassion? I, I love what J.C. Philpott wrote on God's work of conviction because that's the thing. We can tell them all these things. God's got to convict their hearts. He's got to show them that they're sinners. You can't show them. We can put it in front of them. He's got to show them. But he wrote this. When the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that's his work. He'll reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. Not the world out there. His elect is who he reproves. And Gadsby wrote, uh, Philpott wrote this. He said, all conviction to be true conviction must be thorough conviction. The field must be plowed, broken up, and furred before the seed can find a home, a seed bed for the seed to fall in, so as to germinate and grow. There's much to be done in a sinner's heart before Christ can dwell in that heart by faith or be formed in him the hope of glory. And I like this. He says the heart is naturally very hard, full of thorns and thistles and briars, overspread its surface. The noxious weed of pride and lust have taken deep root. Much grubbing up of those bosom sins as well as of our inbred self-righteousness and flesh holiness, creature strength and sufficiency is needed to prepare us to receive God's free grace, salvation, separate us from the world and false professors, embitter to us the love things of time and sense, and lay us suing for mercy at the foot of the cross. In other words, what he's trying to say by that long statement is this. God's going to strip you bare before he shows you this glorious robe that he's going to put on you. You're going to be hopeless without hope and without help. But thank God that brings us to the good news. That's all, that's bad. That's bad. And I thank God it's not the wrath of God that leads to repentance, but what is it? It's the goodness of God. Well, here's the goodness. Our gospel message. I hope that we preach to those who them, see themselves. If you see yourself as guilty, I got something for you this morning. I do. Because here's the thing. Before a sinner will look outside of him or herself, they have to be convinced by God There's absolutely no hope to be found in them or in anything they've done. God alone, by His Holy Spirit, He has to do this work. And praise God, you know what? He does it in every one of His children, all without exception. You think about that Philippian jailer. Huh? Remember, write this down. Write Acts 16, verse 23 through 31 down. Go read that conversion story. But just to kind of paraphrase it, that dude, when they captured Paul and Barnabas, they gave Paul and Barnabas over to him and told him, you put them in stocks, which I can't envision being put in stocks, 
on his hands and their feet. And it said that he tightened them down tight, made them hard, painful. Over one thing, the gospel. They weren't murderers. They were preaching the gospel. And at midnight, Paul and Barnabas were singing and counting it glorious and thanking God that they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. Say, and at midnight, the gates opened up. Every prison cell opened up. And this Philippian jailer run in there, and he sees the gate open. He grabbed a lamp, and he runs in there, and he sees the gate open, and he thinks everybody's fled, including these two guys that he had been given under his commission or watch to hold and punish. And so he draws his sword, and he's about to kill himself. And Paul steps forward, and he says, Do thyself no harm, we're all here. All here. And the guy sprang into the cell where Paul was at, and he looked at him, saw that they were all there, and the question out of his mouth was this, what must I do to be saved? And I will read you this. Because here's the thing, he asked him, what must I do to be saved? Well, I, if it had been some of the religionists of our day, I know what they had to tell you. Repeat after me and say the sinner's prayer, right? I'll never forget that, my mama. When are you going to get Jeremy and Matt to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior? Little six, seven-year-old kid, Matt, a little four-year-old kid back then. My mama, when are you going to get them to make a profession of religion? He didn't get them to say the sinner's prayer. You know what he did? This did. And he spake... Unto him the word of the Lord. And to all that were in his house. Now you see the guy asked him what must I do to be saved. He said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I'll be saved. And the guy took him out of the prison. Carried him to his own home. Cleaned his wound. And then after he cleaned his wound. That's when Paul spoke this word to him and to his family. This is so important. Unless you know the word of Lord, the Lord, you can never speak the word of the Lord. You can't. But here's the thing. Even if you know the word of the Lord, the only way you can set it forth and declare it is you've got to prepare yourself through study of all the doctrines that set forth Christ that sets you free. Paul wrote, Timothy, you and me included, he said, study. And I looked up right before I left here. That word study, you know what it means? To be diligent. To be diligent to. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing. Dividing what? The word of truth. The Greek word translated by the English phrase rightly divided means to make straight and smooth, to handle aright, to teach the truth directly and correctly. <laughs> How are you going to teach the truth correctly and directly unless you have it all in your mind? And how do you have it all in your mind? Be diligent to do what? Use the means God's given you to study. Only way we can do this is study. What do we, what do we declare? What's the message you declare to somebody to ask you a reason to hope it's in you? 
Here's, here's, here's the first one. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel of Christ, the word of truth, is the power of God unto salvation to every man that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. What do they got to see? Somebody's got to tell them about this righteousness that nobody else was ever willing to tell them. Think of all the religious people in your background that never spoke to you about righteousness. I can't think of one, Sal. Not one. Men with doctorate degrees. I, I had some of them still. They never talked of righteousness. They talked of church attendance. They talked of tithing. They talked of the year of the Southern Baptist Convention. Never talked about him. They talked about Jesus, but not this Christ. And certainly not this righteousness. What do we tell them? We tell them that you got you to study to know that. We tell them of the doctrine of substitution. Well, that ain't something you need to know. That's your hope. Huh? He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made to righteousness of God. And we talk to him of what? The doctrine of imputation. That God was in Christ reconciling the world and himself, not imputing. It's his word, not mine. Not imputing their trespasses to them. We tell them of the doctrine of reconciliation. What's that? That the only way God can forgive sins is what he's got to do. He's got to satisfy himself. You can't do it. It's not God is my co-pilot. It's not even God is my pilot. He's the plane. He's everything. And in order to do that, what do you got to do? You got to study you got to use the means God's given you. We didn't get there in the Sunday Bible class hour. That's what we come together, especially in that first hour. You know what we're trying to do? What I try to do every time I sit down and study and prepare, I'm trying to prepare myself and trying to prepare you for what? The work of the ministry. Oh, I don't have a... I'm not ordained to the ministry. Oh, yes, you are. Huh? All of us are in this work of the ministry. All of us are ambassadors for Christ. All of us have had committed to our trust this word of reconciliation. And all of us have a responsibility to know it, to understand it, to be prepared, capable, and willing to share it to every man or woman that asks us. See, like Philip, when the Lord sent that man out there to meet that one sheep that was in the desert, you know what God does? He sends each and every one of us that he's saved by his grace forth to his children to share the good news of peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Using that message, that message, to call his sheep by name. If you don't memorize any other verse, you need to memorize this. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that by this man, not this one, by this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all the believing, all those who believe, are justified, are declared righteous from all things from which you could not be declared righteous by the law of Moses. See, that's good news. 
<laughs> it's good news to every sinner who has, by God's grace, seen his absolute holiness and seen their absolute hopelessness and helplessness. Because when those two things come together, you know what? Law is a schoolmaster to drive us where? Back to the law? It drives us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. I hope, I pray, that all of us will use the means God's given us graciously to prepare ourselves to give an answer to every man that asks us a reason of the hope that's in us if they ask with meekness and they ask with fear. I pray the Lord to bless that to your heart, mind, and understand. I hope that answered her question, <laughs> and I hope it answers yours. We have a responsibility, folks. God help us to be faithful to the holy calling to which he's called us to. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed.